Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. As you may know, we are in a sermon series on the life and formation of David. Um, and, the, and, and the part that we're in, part one, is called Formed in Waiting. And, and I'd like to actually um, look this morning, and we're going to look at a very dramatic story in the life of David. And, and the, what I want us to focus on is David's discernment. So I'm calling this sermon uh, David the Discerning Fugitive. David the Discerning Fugitive. But first, what do I mean by discernment? Um, Henry Nouwen, a Catholic priest and author who is one of my favorite writers, defines discernment as this. To discern means, first of all, to listen to God, to pay attention to God's active presence, and to obey God's prompting, direction, leading, and guidance. He says, through the practice of discernment, We can open our hearts to the divine presence and we can ascertain when to act, when to wait, and when to be led. So discerning is simply, well, it's not always simple, but uh, paying attention to where God is and what he's up to, right? It involves noticing what's going on around us in our circumstances, but also what's going on inside of us in our hearts. And when we can learn to do those things well, we can collaborate with God to discern and respond to his invitations in our lives, right? So before I invite up David and Amanda to read our passage, let me give us a little bit of context. This is the backstory to what we're going to be reading about today. David, when he is about 15 years old, is secretly anointed king by um, prophet, uh, the prophet Samuel. So he's anointed king, but there's already a king. Saul is the reigning king. And so David is waiting. He's waiting for God in God's timing to raise him up and uh, to raise him up to be king and to replace Saul. And at this point in the story, David is actually on the run from Saul because Saul is very jealous of David. Why is Saul jealous of David? Well, do you remember when David took down the Philistine, the giant named Goliath? And when he did that, he became a national hero, right? And ever since then, he's been the people's choice. He's the Time Magazine Person of the Year. Uh, the, the song at the top of the charts, as Ian pointed out a few weeks ago, was Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. So Saul is jealous, and Saul happens to be a rather unhinged character. So he's not just jealous, he's deathly jealous, right? And so Saul goes out into the wilderness with uh, 3,000 of his elite soldiers to pursue David uh, and to destroy David. And while Saul is out in the wilderness pursuing David, something coincidental happens. Something very, very coincidental happens. So I'm going to invite up um, David and Amanda. and They are going to read our passage from 1 Samuel 24, verses 3 through 22. morning, everybody. Saul went into a cave to relieve himself, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. 
But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord the king! And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hands. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you may have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate, and he will rescue me from your power. When David had finished speaking, Saul called back, Is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry. And he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazing, amazingly kind to me today. For when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. And now I realize that you are surely going to be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. Then Saul went home. But David and his men went back to their stronghold. Thanks, David and Amanda. So David is hiding in a cave, and it's rather comedic. But Saul, who goes in the cave to relieve himself, ends up stumbling into the very cave of his arch enemy who he's pursuing. And, 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 um, and uh, Saul is completely oblivious that David is there. So what a crazy coincidence, right? What a crazy coincidence. And I want to start there with this coincidence because I think this coincidence actually has a lot to teach us. How many of you have a good coincidence story? Maybe after the service, uh, you, you want to have an ex something to talk about to the person next to you or in front of you. Ask them about a good coincidence. What's their coincidence story? Imagine you are David and the very person that, that you're fleeing because he's seeking to kill you wanders into the same cave you're hiding in alone and completely oblivious to you. If you were David, how would you read that coincidence? 
Well, you might read it like his men read it, right? David, uh, they, they believed, his men believed that God had delivered Saul into David's hands so that David could defeat and destroy Saul, right, once and for all. After all, hadn't God promised David that he was going to be king, right? And it was, it was only a matter of time before this would happen. And so to David's men, this was God's way of, of fulfilling this promise to David, right? Um, now all it takes is a swing of one of their swords and David will be the rightful king of Israel. Uh, but David had a different take on things. Right? David and his men do agree on one thing, by the way. They do agree that God's hand is somehow behind this encounter. Right? That this isn't just a coincidence. But here's where David and his men disagree. David does not just assume that God wants him to slay Saul. Because deep in David's heart is a conviction that no matter how evil Saul is, he is God's to deal with, not David's to deal with, right? David has been waiting for God to, to raise him up as king to take Saul's place. But if he takes Saul down with his own sword or one of his men do for him, whose signature is going to be on David's ascension to the throne? His signature, not God's signature, right? And so David has a very healthy fear of God. Um, David fears God far too much to take matters into his own hands. And what's more, and I think this is truly amazing, David actually seems to see this as an opportunity to be reconciled to Saul. And you can't be reconciled to a dead man, can you? Right? Only a living man. And so David spares Saul's life and preserves the possibility that one day the two may be reconciled. So let's just stop here in this story for a moment and talk about coincidence. Let me ask you, how would you describe your relationship with coincidence? I don't know. I, I think we all have our own relationship with coincidence. When a coincidence happens in your life, do you tend to think that it's the hand of God orchestrating things? Do you think it's pure happenstance? Is it maybe 50% of the time one and 50% of the time the other? Right? How do you determine how to respond to a coincidence? Um, this may seem like a little thing, right? Often coincidences are just little things, right? But I think it's actually like the idea of, of coincidence and how we respond to it. I think it's actually a pretty big thing because whether or not all coincidences are God's hand, um, certainly God might, he just might be speaking to us through some coincidences. Would you agree with me? Um, and so he might be using a coincidence in our life to give us a sense of direction or to encourage us or perhaps to warn us. And so we would do well to pay attention, right, to coincidence. But here's the thing. If God is actually up to something in a coincidence, how do we know what he's up to? This is where discernment comes in. And there's a danger that I want to address here. There's a pitfall that I think we can be uh, very, we can very easily fall into. And I, I believe, and I've learned this the hard way, that we must take care not to jump to conclusions um, about what God is saying to us through a coincidence or doing through a coincidence. You see, we can be like David's men and jump to conclusion, or we could be like David and carefully discern. 
Let me share a story with you um, about a time when I did not discern a coincidence well. Um, a number of years ago, I was part of a two-year retreat-based uh, spiritual formation program. It was called Emmaus. It was wonderful. On the first retreat, um, there were about 30 of us um, uh, as part of a cohort going through these two years. Um, the first retreat, I met this woman in her um, mid-20s, um, and we just connected really well, very, very quickly. And it, it turned out that she was actually in a long season of battling some really severe chronic fatigue. And um, she was clearly in, in, a, in a season of discouragement around that, not to mention limitation. Um, and that's hard to, to watch in somebody in their 20s or the prime of their life. They're otherwise perfectly healthy and have everything going for them. And, you know, they're just under this horrendous weight of really debilitating fatigue. Well, coincidentally, I have a history of chronic fatigue, including some very severe chronic fatigue. I've been on a long healing journey of my own. Um, I've learned a lot on that healing journey. Uh, and my heart went out to her. I had a deep compassion for her. And it seemed to me, and I dare say it seemed to us, that God was orchestrating this connection. This wasn't just a pure coincidence. Unfortunately, though, I responded to this coincidence a lot like David's men and, I, and I, I didn't do a lot of discerning. I jumped very quickly to a conclusion. I assumed that the reason God had caused our paths to cross was so that I could share with her uh, what had helped me in my story so that she could get better. Um, I wanted to fix her problem. I, I went into fix-it mode. I took on the role of chronic fatigue expert, the role of advice giver, Right? And only after far too much talking about myself and feeling like the conversation was going nowhere and that there was no encouragement happening on her part, did I begin to wonder, what if the reason God caused our paths to cross was not because he was going to use me to fix her problem? What if it was simply so that I could listen to her story as someone who could understand and have compassion, as someone who could bear witness to her suffering? And what if what she needed was someone who could cry with her? What if God brought me across her path so that I could pray with her? What if what she needed was someone who could hold hope for her when she no longer had the strength to hold hope for herself? Here's what I'm learning is a red flag for me when I, when I pay attention uh, to, to when a, a coincidence happens, right? I'm paying attention, there's a coincidence, and, and I, do, do any of you guys have like a, I don't know if, if I'm just crazy, but like kind of like a, an ongoing internal conversation with yourself? So in my ongoing internal conversation with myself, coincidence happens, I go, oh, obviously I'm supposed to do this. Or, or clearly, like, God wants me to do this, right? And so I'm learning that that's a red flag when it's like a foregone conclusion. That is a red flag. And so I'm going to give you three, three things, that, three sort of practical steps that I'm learning to, 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 to take when that happens. And the first one is uh, I need to step back and test my assumptions. So I need to press the pause button. Press the pause button so that I can evaluate my own response and say, well, am I just jumping to conclusions like David's men? Or is there something else God wants to do in this situation, right? I, I don't want to blindly obey my instinct because that won't always lead in the way that God would lead me. 
Secondly, I'm finding as a practical tool that I need to consider that the reason for this coincidence, if indeed God's hand is in it, may not be because God wants to use me as the solution to another person's problem. Uh, he's not necessarily calling me to be the hero in this situation. It's true that I, I do need to be ready and open and willing to share whatever resource he's given me that another person might need. I, I want to be ready to do that, but I don't want to assume that that the, that the reason is uh, for me to uh, fix something in somebody else's life. I need to be open to the possibility that God's purposes for me in this coincidence might actually just be to learn something or to, to witness God's hand in another person's life or even simply to be a faithful presence. I think that we will often underestimate the value of our presence as the, the solution. <laughs> not, it's not a solution, functionally speaking, but it's often much more valuable than the practical solution. And it's where God wants to meet another person or show up. Thirdly, um, I have to hold the possibility that this God-orchestrated coincidence might actually just be because of God's joy overflowing. And he just decided it would be fun to cause me to bump into somebody I haven't seen in 10 years at the grocery store. Wouldn't that be amazing? And wouldn't that be cool how it kind of like reminds me like, oh, like God's hand somehow is, is actually behind the scenes, even if it's a mystery what he's doing and I don't fully understand it. He's there. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing when that happens. So sometimes I think that coincidence is just this little post-it note size, uh, post-it size love note from God, a little sticky note from God. Um, so back to David's story. When David encounters Saul in this moment of vulnerability, he restrains himself, right? He restrains himself long enough to discern the way forward. And instead of slaying Saul, what does he do? He cuts off a swath of his robe as proof that he could have slayed Saul, but didn't. I love that. Now, let me ask us, how is it that David was able to refrain from slaying Saul? I mean, David was angry. He had a righteous anger, right? But he held back. He was face to face with the one who nearly speared him against a wall right? So nearly took his life more, on more than one occasion, had forced him to flee into the wilderness, live on the run as a fugitive. The one who had stolen his friendship with his soul friend, Jonathan, and the one who was just making David's life pure misery. Talk about self-control. There's a lot of self-control there. Here's why I believe David was able to refrain himself from slaying Saul. Because David dealt with his feelings. David dealt with his feelings. And part of dealing with his feelings was discerning them. That word discernment. He, he had taken time to discern his feelings. And, and by that, I mean he named his feelings. And he specifically named them before God. He named them before God. He brought them to God. He poured them out before God. David was angry. David was devastated. David was grieved. And he took those things to the Lord. And we know that he did, right? Because we have the record of it. Isn't that incredible? We have the record of David discerning his feelings and taking them to God. It's called the book of Psalms, right? And we know that about a third of the book of Psalms are Psalms of lament, 
right? And some of those psalms are what we call imprecatory psalms, right? Probably either your, probably your least favorite type of psalm. These are the psalms that call down God's judgment on our enemies, right? And so uh, sometimes very harshly, by the way, these are psalms that are hard to read. They're violent, and you know what? They're problematic, aren't they? And that's why one of the, the, I think it's very easy to skip over these psalms. They're problematic. We don't know what to do with them. You know, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we read the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And so we read those imprecatory psalms and we, we say, would Jesus want us to be praying like that? Calling down curses on our enemies? I mean, didn't Jesus say, love your enemies and pray for them and even bless them? He did say those things. He did say those things. But what's so wonderful about the imprecatory Psalms is that they remind us God makes space. God makes space for us to come to him as we are in all of our raw honesty. We can rail to God about our enemies all we want because our anger is actually safe with God. Isn't that crazy? Our anger is safe with God. And David knows it. David knows it. And so he can express his full anger before God in raw honesty. And because David does this, and because he becomes so good at doing this, there grows up no root of bitterness in him. He refuses to operate towards Saul out of bitterness. Let's just take a glimpse of some of David's railing about his enemies to God. This is Psalm 7, the first 10 verses. Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save me and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion. This, is, this could be Saul, right? It could tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces. No one to rescue me. Lord, my God, if I have done this and there's guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause, have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue me and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. If you were to write a psalm today, what kind of psalm would it be? What's the psalm in your heart today or maybe in this season of your life? Perhaps a psalm of gratitude Perhaps a psalm of praise, or maybe it's a psalm of lament. Are you crying out, why, God? How long? How long till you make everything right again, God? Is it going to be like this forever, God? Or are you, perhaps, is there an imprecatory psalm in your heart? Lord, I am angry. Don't you see what my enemy has done to me? When are you going to deal with this? I, I wish you'd give them a taste of their own medicine. Bring to an end this injustice toward me. Vindicate me. Only you can save me. Is that the psalm in your heart today? When, when you're really angry about something or someone, 
you probably feel like God would rather see you after you've dealt with it, right? After you've worked some things out, after you've cooled down. The truth is, God says, come, let's go hang out at the punching bag together. And even if you miss the bag and you hit me, it's okay. I can handle it. Now, friends, not everything is going to be dandy for us after we've hung out with Jesus at the punching bag. But if you go and hang out with Jesus at the punching bag, here's what you can say. I have been with Jesus. And when you have been with Jesus, things look different, right? Things look different after we've been with Jesus. Our vision here at Church at the Well is be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. When you're angry, this is an opportunity to be with Jesus, to be with him in a new way, to be with him in your anger. And as you spend time with God in your anger, as you pour out your lament, he will teach you to trust him. He will teach you to trust his timing. He will teach you to trust his ways. And by his grace, there will grow no root of bitterness in you. So there's one more detail that I want us to look at in the story of of David this morning. It's a really small detail. It's one verse at the very end of the story, and it would be very easy to overlook this. Verse 22. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their strongholds. Well, what's that about? Saul and his men abort their mission, right? Saul has reconciled with David. Or so it seems. Saul even blesses David, right? He says, may the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown to me today. And David, in in return, honors Saul by agreeing not to destroy Saul's family or his descendants when he becomes king. And so it seems that the matter is settled. The conflict has been worked out. Saul goes home. But what about David? Does he go home? No. No. We're told that he and his men actually go back to their strongholds. Why do you think David didn't say to his men, okay, everything's good now, let's call it a day? Because David was wise and discerning. He was a man who understood people well, and he knew that it's not always prudent to place your trust in someone who hasn't shown that they can follow through with their word, especially when there's so much at stake, right? I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. But when you're dealing with something that God has given you to steward, you do have to discern um, whether uh, who you're stewarding it with or to is, is trustworthy. You see, trust is something that's earned. And David needed Saul to earn back his trust because Saul had lost his trust. And he needed uh, Saul to earn back his trust and not just say everything was good before David would make himself vulnerable to Saul again. And it's a very good thing that that David did not take Saul at his word. Because guess what happens? If you read two chapters later, 1 Samuel 26, it's almost a repeat of this chapter. It's, it's actually amazing how these two chapters parallel each, each other so closely. Saul has this complete change of heart, goes back into the wilderness with his 3,000 men, and, uh, and here's what happens. Um, David decides 
there's no cave involved in this in this version of the story. David goes with his um, his men and, and and this and this one man Abishai. David and Abishai go into Saul's camp. They go into Saul's tent in the middle of the night while he's sleeping, and instead of taking a swath of his robe, they take his spear and they take his water jug. But Abishai says to David, "Hey, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him down to the ground with one thrust of the spear." And the, David does the same thing all over again. He says, no, don't destroy him. As surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed, right? So they make off with um, Saul's spear and his water jug. And when they're just outside of the camp, Saul, uh, sorry, David yells back. And what he does, I love it. It's so funny. He, he reprimands Saul's guard for not guarding the king well, <laughs> right? And, and of course, David wakes up. David, I, I'm sorry, Saul wakes up, and and uh, and and Saul uh, says to David, "Oh, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have done terribly wrong, right?" So Saul repents again. Um, how does this chapter end? Just like the previous one, right? Saul goes home. Where does David go? It says, David went on his way. Well, if you follow into the chapter after that, we see that Saul goes and lives in Philistine territory for a year. He doesn't go home. He remains on the run. He's a fugitive because he can't trust Saul. Like David, we are called to be discerning when it comes to trust, right? We're not called to trust everyone all the time. We are called to love everyone. We are called to love everyone. But keep in mind, love and trust are not the same thing, right? You can love someone without fully trusting them. And we know this because Jesus did, right? Jesus loved everyone. He loved everyone perfectly. And yet we also know that he didn't put his trust in everyone. When Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover, uh, the gospel writer John tells us that there were many who saw his signs and miracles, many who believed on his name. But John also says in the gospel, Jesus would not entrust himself to them. That said, we don't want to go around withholding our trust from people who have earned it and who deserve it, right? We don't want to go around just mistrusting everyone because one person let us down once, right? People who can't trust anyone, I, I find, tend to be lonely people, often miserable people, and often isolated people, right? It's not healthy for us to go around mistrusting everyone, assuming everyone is out to get us. Do you see how important discernment is when it comes to trust? We would do well to practice discernment. So to wrap things up, every day you and I have the opportunity to discern. We have the opportunity to discern where and in whom we place our trust is there a situation where you're being called not to blindly trust? Is there someone who's lost your trust, but who you're still being called to love? We have the opportunity also to discern our circumstances, right? Including our coincidences and to pay attention to what God might be wanting to speak to us or how he might want to lead us or encourage us. Is there a circumstance you're being called not to jump to a conclusion about, 
but to discern carefully with God. We also have the opportunity to discern our hearts. Very, very holy work, discerning our hearts, paying attention to our feelings and our convictions, naming those things before God in raw honesty, allowing him to bear our sorrows for us, to take our anger, right, so that we don't end up despairing or being bitter and taking that out on the people around us. Only with God is our anger completely safe. What is the psalm in your heart today? Will you take time to pour it out to God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for David's discernment. We too would be a discerning people. We want to be good at noticing where you are, what you're saying, where you're leading us. And when you're just simply saying stay, rest, wait, hold, hold fast. And when you're just saying, look, I want to give you this, this, this moment just for the sake of my joy. Help us to come to you, Lord, with all of our hearts holding nothing back. Give us the courage to sing the psalm that's in our hearts, whatever that psalm is. Teach us that we truly can trust you. And may your glory be on display in our lives as we follow you, taking one step at a time down the path toward your cross and toward the resurrection, toward new life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church of the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.org.